Hey, boys and girls, it's the Theonauts, episode 181. The one where we rock for some water. The Theonauts Podcast. <laughs> Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo rock climbers out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts! That was really I, fast. I did not even say it. Like I just, I know. You I just, just, I just let the, the <laughs> I just let the recorder do it. Are we that out of practice? We are. We are so um, rusty. Yeah, seriously. And not only that, but what was that intro? What? Hello, boys and girls. <laughs> it sounded like the creepy uncle with the band <laughs> and the can, would, candy side. Would you like some ice cream? <laughs> just get in the back of the van. It's so creepy. <laughs> Why? We're gonna world? we're gonna I... study the Bible together. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I I just had to look at you and go, what? Why <laughs> the world would say it like that? I was, I was actually, to be honest, I was doing that to throw you. <laughs> you threw me completely off. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, the one where we rock for some water, really nice and fast. But you said that, and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, I feel wrong and dirty. <laughs> so, how have you been, Jeremiah? I've been all right. How have you been, Dave? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. What you been up to? Oh man, what have I been up up to? When was the last time we did this? I don't know, like. Five years ago, <laughs> uh, it's been a while. But do we even know each other anymore? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. So, it has been forever ago. Yeah, I'm a Mormon now. No. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> no, um, that would make that would that's that is that the reason why you want a man bun? <laughs> hey, don't be talking about my man bun. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're so just funny. you're just jealous. Yeah, your luscious locks of hair. <laughs> <laughs> There's no man bun yet. No, not yet. <laughs> You're going for it. What does your wife think of the man bun idea? You know, she doesn't even form opinions about that type of thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Christina has formed an opinion about my beard. Again? Oh, man. She hates it. And I'm like, it's just now getting to the length where I'm I'm excited about it growing, you know? Right. And getting bigger. And yeah. She's like, you need to cut that. You need to cut like every turn. You need to cut that. You need to cut that. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think I'm sticking with it this time. <laughs> I think I went through that when I was about your age. Oh yeah? Yeah. Now she doesn't even bother. Like it's just like <laughs> So you're saying there's a brightness or there's a light at the yeah, end of the Yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a point to where it just becomes, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, just That's great. A, 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 a tinkling cymbal. <laughs> That's horrible. That's <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. Oh, well. Don't don't take marriage advice from the theonauts. Just listen to our theology. Yeah, no, no, go get married. Have fun. Knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, listen to your wife. Maybe. Yeah. Don't let her become a tinkling symbol. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's proverbial. That's that's in that's in uh, in proverbs. Yes. You know, I read uh, my one of my favorite proverbs today, which is Proverbs twenty twenty five, where it says. Uh, better to like live on the edge of a house than with a mm -hmm. uh with a what is it what's the word there something woman nagging wife or whatever yeah it's like who sounds like the dripping of water upon the tin roof <laughs> yes <laughs> so funny don't pull that one yeah. out when all of our all of our it. female listeners are are already <laughs> turning us off they were like we were excited to hear the Theonauts come back, and now yep. we get this. They're misogynist now. <laughs> I promise you, we are not. <laughs> no, just go back to episode. <laughs> we we trumped the, you, women. We we the one where women. we talked about how cool women were. Yeah, you know, they discovered they were the first ones for the resurrection, or that you know. Laid a witness for the resurrection. So, mm -hmm. hey, it's kind of important, these yeah. females in the Bible. Yeah. I'm a fan of Beth Moore. <clears throat> Are you? I am. No comment. Have you heard about the whole, like, I don't know, you're not SBC, you're not in the that SBC life. No. But I am in the thick of it. And uh, there's been a lot of fighting going on with uh Beth Moore over quote unquote overstepping her bounds of being a pastor. That'd be an interesting theonauts. Yeah. Should women be allowed to pastor churches? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of interesting theonaut topics we could dive into. We could. <laughs> We're not going to touch, but we could touch, right? That's right. That's great. Anyways, so all this stemmed from how are you doing, David? Yeah, and I never really gave a good answer. I mean No, you didn't. Uh things are busy at work. Um yeah. It's uh things are going well at the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got our Easter retreat coming up. We're in the midst of planning that. Nice. Uh, today is Fat Tuesday, by That's the way. Right. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Uh so uh what is your Lenten season look like? Well, actually, um I'm doing a fasting thing. So I thought I'd just incorporate like I'm meal fasting, so from five to nine, I eat, and yeah. then I'm not eating during the day. <clears throat> so I thought I'd just incorporate more Bible study and prayer into that noon hour when I'm supposed to be eating. Oh, okay. During gotcha. Lenten season. Or during Lenten season. Cool. Yeah. So it's going pretty good so far. Cool. Like, but that's been this week. I started that this week. So. Well, last okay. last year I did the traditional Lenten fast. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that, so I'm thinking of, of doing the same thing this year. So that's just cool. so one one meal a day, right? So, and that's pretty much what I'm doing too. It's just I can eat from five to nine, <clears throat> and then I'm my I'm shut down for the rest of the day. Yeah, I drink I drink coffee. I drink two pots of coffee today. So I'm a little <laughs> wired. <laughs> I'm filling I'm filling up on coffee <laughs> instead of. Uh, 
instead of food. <laughs> Oh, my man. blood pressure's loving me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, you ready to get rolling on this stuff? Hey, I, I'm I'm ready when you are, man. Okay. I'm an open book. I'm excited about this study um, because it's a to me it's a pretty powerful one. All right. Well, so. let's dive into it. <clears throat> So you were um, trying to determine if we had done this one before, actually. Yeah, because I I seem to remember talking about this. And I don't know. If it, it must have been a Types and Shadows thing, but it's been a long time, <clears throat> you know. Yeah, and, and we may have mentioned it in some of our prior episodes when we were doing a lot of Types and Shadows things. Uh, but this particular study, um, I went into... Oh, it was a couple of months ago now. And um, it actually was spawned by a um, ch- uh, Oswald Chambers devotional <clears throat> that I was reading in uh, My Utmost for His Highest. And, nice. and that's kind of what uh, got me thinking about it. Because when I first read the devotional, it was one, you know, sometimes you read a devotional or something, especially if it's in language that's a little bit, uh, he's not ancient, but it's still very uh, removed from the way we talk sure. and um, you read it and you go, wait a minute, what did he just say? No, I don't think I agree with that. <laughs> and then by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, Oh yeah, I definitely agree with this. It was just coming at it from an angle. I had not uh, thought about uh, and especially being a proponent of, of love and that sort of thing. And so we'll get to some of that here in a minute. But it all kind of stems from, and I want to take this back to our um, types and shadows, types of, of things, and go and look at uh, the rock in the wilderness as a, a model for Jesus. And so most everybody remembers, at least if you've been through Sunday school, and et cetera, et cetera. You remember the story of why Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land. Yep. He got angry and he struck the rock, right? Yeah, he was told to speak to the rock, and instead he hit it. And everyone remembers that. And people don't necessarily always remember that there was a part one to that. that. Like, that's, yes, that happened, but before that, there was this event that happened in Exodus 17. So the 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 one, the one that uh, we were just talking about, it doesn't happen until uh, the book of Numbers much later. Right. So uh, it, can you jump in there and let's look at that uh, let's look at that story. And, Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to be looking <clears throat> at Exodus chapter 17. Do you want me to start in verse four? Do you want me to start with verse one? Now let's go to let's go four to seven. We'll keep it. <clears throat> All right. So Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 4, it says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, Water will come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
he named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Okay, so there's a couple of things in that story that I want to pick up on. First off, the story, uh, the, the, the main thing to remember is that Moses was actually commanded to strike the rock with the right. staff. Like he was told what staff to use, everything. Like God gave him very specific instructions. It was take the staff, strike the rock, and living yeah. water would come from it <clears throat> and, and feed and give the people something to drink. And, of course, they're all parts. There's a couple of, of things in that passage, though, that I want us to keep in our, in our minds because it's going to come into the model a little bit later. Uh, one of those things being that he says, I will go before you and I will be on the rock. I will stand on the rock. Um, right. So the Lord himself is present. Like he, the Lord is claiming this rock. He's, he is stepping onto it. And then at the end, whenever uh, he names the place, uh, Mera and, and was it uh, Meribah? Meribah. <clears throat> he names those because those, those words mean um, the, that they were complaining and they were testing. And um, a lot of the times, uh, what we're going to get to here in a little bit by the end of this is looking at how we might be in that same boat. Like we are also testing God sometimes in our activities um, and how we deal with this rock and what, right. it, and what it provides to us. So just so everyone knows that this isn't a stretch for us to say that this rock is a representation of Christ. Let's jump into the new Testament. Um, and let's listen from, um, from good old St. Paul in first Corinthians chapter <laughs> 10 and catch the first four verses there. Sure, so it says, <clears throat> Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that comes right out and tells us if there's any shadow of doubt, if there's any, uh, let's be clear about this. He, he makes it very black and white. He's like, you remember what right. happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel, that rock, that was Jesus. And so he, he draws the correlation here and talks about them partaking of the water from it. Actually, it's kind of cool when you look at it because he talks about them being baptized in Moses and everything. There's all this correlation of our Christian walk happening in this passage and how they followed God. They followed him as a cloud and they followed, followed him as a pillar of, of fire. And uh, <clears throat> he makes mention of the specific rock. And so we see that God, whenever he commanded Moses to do this, was building something. He was building a model that would be Jesus. Um, so the first thing to notice about that is he did tell him to strike the rock. And that was important that the rock be struck. Right. So um, let's, let's look at uh, Jesus's crucifixion for a minute. Sure. Uh, John 19 verses one through three, it says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Um, and they were hitting his face. So even though uh, there are many passages here about Jesus's torturous um, uh, death on the cross, he was flogged. He was um, he was crucified. His hands were hands and feet were were pierced. His uh, head was was pierced by the thorns. Um, he was beaten prior to even getting here. But uh, this particular passage specifically talks about him being struck, and so. Being struck can be just, you know, a, a physical, actual striking that we read about, but it can also be figurative in that he was struck in by dying. Like that, Ooh. the death and the crucifixion was a striking as well. So this is a picture of Jesus, the rock, being struck. So now we think back to the story of Moses and the rock and what happened whenever the rock was struck. Water came out. Yeah, we got we got living water, or the water that came out and uh, flowed out, covered them, gave them things to gave them something to drink. So, right. um, what does this remind us of in Jesus? Uh, he's the living water, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, it's so a great <laughs> example. Of this would be the woman at the well. Yeah. So, the woman at the well. Yeah. Let's look at what he tells the woman at the well in John four. Sure. Um, okay. So let's see. John 4, 9 through 14, it says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, uh, who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman uh, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't uh, greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us a well to drink. Uh, he gave us the well and the drink from it himself, and drank from him himself, as did his sons and their livestock. Jesus said, "Everyone who drinks from the water, this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him." for eternal life. I always love this passage. I, I love the whole interaction anyway, between um, Jesus and this woman. Sure. Uh, it, it's a great picture of grace. It's a great picture of love. It's it, We were talking about uh, women before we started the study. This is right. a great picture of Jesus, how Jesus viewed women. This is a woman who was an outcast. She was outcast of the outcast, right? Like, right, like absolutely. She's the she was a Samaritan, which is outcast from the Jews, and she was here alone at the well in the middle of the day, which meant she wasn't hanging out in the morning in the cool of the day when the other women were Everybody coming. Everybody was growing, yeah. So she was um, somewhat of an outcast, even among the, her own people. Sure. Um, but I love that she's so snarky and. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, just, she doesn't pull any punches. She's like, nope. who are you? How are you going to draw water? You don't even have a bucket. And, right. And, uh, but he makes this correlation that talks about, and she understood it too, because she, uh, she 
responds ultimately by saying, well, I know that when the Messiah comes, et cetera, et cetera. So she kind of picked up uh, yeah, on what he was talking about. But um, so he talks about how uh, this living water would flow from him and that whoever drank of it, here's the important thing that I think is so cool. Whoever drank of it would never thirst again. Yeah. So it's like, you're not going to have to come to this well over and over. You're coming to this well every day and right. because you're thirsty and you're going to leave here. You're going to get filled, but you're going to leave here and then you're going to come back tomorrow because yep. you're going to need more water. And the point that he was making is that with me, this will not happen. You won't have to come over and over and over and over and draw from this in order to survive. Sure. It'll be a it'll be a, a, a well springing up within you into eternal life. And so this is really telling. Like this is this is um this this is and you were sitting here dealing with some of this uh argument earlier <laughs> online uh, oh. about you know not feeling forgiven or or dealing with with you know having to come back and and Jesus is saying, nope, that's not the way it's going to work with this living water. This living water that I provide is going to be complete. And mm. you won't need to draw from the well again. Uh, so that brings us to the story, the popular story of why Moses couldn't go into the promised land. Right. So you... that happens in, what is it, Numbers 20? Yes. Well, hold on, hold on. I lost my place. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so they're in the um, the wilderness still, and they fall into the same situation, much like the woman at the well who has to come back for more water. So they come back, and they're thirsty again, and right. they're doing the same thing. They're complaining, and they're testing God here. Uh, and let's look at what it says there in, in Numbers twenty. Um, beginning in verse 8. Okay. So it says, Take the staff and assemble the company. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them uh, from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took his staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, so that the abundant water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness inside the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. So the Lord's merciful. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't follow the command that God told him. He doesn't do it the way God told him to do it. Um, right. But God still goes ahead and blesses the people with life-giving water because they need it. Um, but he's so upset about this. and. Yeah. So growing up, what was always your thought about this story? Like, like, well, I mean, 
he disobeyed God, and so God punished him for it, period. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, that's what I was always told, is that, right. you know, you yeah. had your shot, you blew it. Exactly. If you, you know, if you, you better obey God, especially exactly what he says. Because think about this, Moses, and I always thought this as I was, I was a kid too. Man, God is kind of unfair, because God said, Moses, bring everybody in front of, you know, in the assembly and then speak to the rock. Well, I think he, he did both those things. Although I guess he didn't technically speak to the rock. He spoke in front of everybody at the rock, right? Yeah. You rebels. Right. He struck it. So for me, it's like, you know, wow. God is kind of like cruel. Yeah. A little harsh. Yeah. He's, he's a, you know, here's, does does God not experience the same frustration that Moses does over and over and over again with these stubborn people? Yeah. Why in the world would God be mad at Moses when God himself at one point wanted to destroy the entirety of the camp yeah. and start over, right? And Moses talks him out of it, right? Moses talks him out of it. So <laughs> I always thought that when I was a kid, but man, God's just really harsh here. Yeah, and I always thought that too, you know, that it was, it didn't make sense to me. Because I was trying to weigh it from a works standpoint. And it's like, okay, so look at all the good things Moses did. Look how obedient Moses was. And all of a sudden, one thing, like this one thing just blows it out of the water until you start looking at it from this angle that we're looking at. So he was told to speak to it. And the reason why he was told to speak to it and not to strike it again is because the model is still being built. In fact, he had already built the model in that right. it would be struck and water would come out. And what did Jesus say? I'm the rock. I The water's going to come from me and sure. the water you get from it will, you will never have to come back for it. Like it'll, you'll never have to come plead for this water again. It's going to be inside you springing up. Right. Yet that's what um, Moses did. He struck the rock again. And so it broke the model. And I think God was really upset with him, not just because he broke the model, but because this is an important model. This is, sure. this is a, a painting a picture, and the picture is now damaged in a way because it is showing something that, you, that if this is Jesus, then there is something here that doesn't jive anymore. And I actually think it's kind of cool. Obviously, everything works to God's will. Of course. I think it's still cool because we have this problem today. We go to the rock and strike it all the time to get more water. And we can see the anger (laughs) that this produces in God. God's like, no, that's not the way it works. And because it because you're hanging on to the, the striking part, because you're stuck on it, you're going to be stuck here in the wilderness. You're not going to, you're going to die here and you're not going to come over. So uh, when we read about Jesus, not only did he tell the woman at the well, Hey, you're not going to have to come back for water again. You're not going to be thirsty again, but we have many other examples where it says that he was uh, only struck once and for all. And a good example of this is in the book of Hebrews. So if, if we look to, you got the Hebrews uh, 10 there? I do. Look. 
Yeah, we're looking at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 8. <clears throat> this is what it said, what it says. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifice and offerings, over offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my law on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary. Oh, sorry. Should I stop there? Oh, that's probably that's probably close enough. Okay. So, so um, but the, but if you if the writer of Hebrews can't be any clearer yeah. <laughs> about this, like he's he's coming right out and saying this sacrifice is sufficient in mm-hmm. e- in each and every way. It mm-hmm. is completely covering. There is no need for more sacrifice. Right. And and he's like, look at the system you're in. The priests they got to keep coming back. Over and over and over again, and repeating it over, and the and the process just continues and continues, and it's insufficient. It never has right. an, it never has an end. But Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. And uh, what does it say there? Uh, read that part again about the uh, perfecting those who are are sanctified. Sure. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. How assuring is that? That's straight up assurance of salvation, 100%. I mean, that promises that those, uh, because of his offering, he is is perfected forever. I mean, there's no getting out of it, those who are sanctified. Yes. And I mean... It's once for all. It's it is so, um, man. It makes me love him so much <laughs> because it it shows you, like he says in very strong languages. Not only is he, are you perfected, but you're perfected forever. Right. Like it's a done deal. Yeah. His final cry on the cross is finished. Yeah. To tell us die. There's no more. I'm not doing uh-huh. this again. <laughs> it's it's finished and so but the problem is we as humans are so weak it is hard for us to get our heads around that Ugh. because um because we are as paul told the corinthians we have this great treasure but it's in jars of clay and it's hard for us to see. we're not in jars of gold we're in jars of clay our yeah. our flesh is flawed and we have the great gift. It's inside of us, but it's still covered in flesh. 
And so we're always going to be struggling with things. So this isn't talking about being made perfect as in you'll never sin or anything like that. It's being made perfect positionally yep. so that you are taken care of, even if you're still struggling and fighting. Because we're all, we'll, all of us will always be struggling and fighting against our sinful nature. Sure. And that's until we're glorified. So, um, so that brings us to, it's going to sound like we're switching gears a little bit, but I want to, I want to take this to ap- some more application. So, um, I'm going to ask a trick question. Is grace free? No. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but why? Because everyone's going to say yes. Like, like grace that's, is a price tag. Yes. If if grace is free, then Christ died for nothing. Right. Right. So <laughs> did I ruin all of your No, not at all. In fact, you're you're making the whole point. So the the so the, the whole thing here is that we we talk as if it's free because it's free to us. It didn't cost us right, absolutely. anything, but that doesn't make it cheap. That's right. It it actually came at the ultimate cost. It came right. at the cost of God's son, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's the that's the reason the the writer of Hebrews continues on through verse twenty six all the way through the, the end of that chapter. Yeah. Whenever he talks about deliberate sin. Yes. And uh, that's and that's the reason he's land blasting people who are deliberately sinning in the face of their, their gift of grace. Right. And also, and we'll get to that a little bit, but the, the sin that is talking about (laughs) is not necessarily the same sins we think about. And and, because I I think there's a sin here that we may be doing a lot that we don't even think about that we're, that we're involved in. And uh, so, and that has to do with this mentality that there was a cost for your salvation. There was a great price that was paid. That rock was stricken, and it was not a cheap thing. It was a painful thing that Jesus went through. And um, John 3.16 is a verse that everyone quotes, but right there in that, it tells us he loved the world, that he he so much loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son to us. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself, think about that as a father. Like what can you even wrap your head around giving your child away for, especially in a painful, like watching them suffer the way Jesus suffered. Like I cannot even fathom it. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine a love that would take me there. And yet that's what he has for us is this kind of, of love. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's jump over to 2 Corinthians 5. Sure. And look at uh, near the end of that chapter, uh, verse 18 to 21. It says, Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, as he has uh, committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, so the last, the, the last of that. That just... last piece, it, I mean, it's the gospel. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could become his righteousness. Yes. It's a transactional uh, statement right there. Yes, substitutional atonement, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, we have this thing where it says that, uh, of course, he did nothing to deserve the mm. striking. He did nothing to deserve it. But right. he was stricken on our behalf and right. received that punishment for us. He became sin for us. And um, I think about the, um, um, the pain that would have been involved in that. And then, of course, let's look at, the, at part of the sacrifice itself in Matthew 27, um, looking at uh, verse 45 and 46. Absolutely. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole world. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, forsaken me? Right. So thinking about what Jesus says here on the cross, um, well, the whole scenario, this is a picture of God's grief. Um, and it's a picture of Jesus' suffering, like internally. Like you, you get a glimpse into what Jesus is going through mentally in his suffering. He didn't just suffer physically. No. He suffered mentally too. Right. And so think about the abandonment issues. If, if you had to, to sacrifice your child, mm. imagine how they would be looking at you. <laughs> like, even if they understood it to some degree. It's, it's unbelievable to me. Yeah. So, um, and in this passage, it talks about right there the first that this is the middle of the day. Yeah. And the sky goes dark. Yeah, darkness ascends. And, uh, you know, in, in Habakkuk, it says that you are so holy, you cannot look upon sin. You have to turn your face away from sin. Mm. And so I believe that's what's happening. We just read that Jesus became sin upon the cross for us. So as he's becoming sin, the father turns his face away. Mm. The sky turns black. And, at that, and it's at that moment we get the lament. Why have you forsaken me? And we can, it's powerful enough on its own. But then when we realize that to the Jews that were standing there listening, this was also a turn your Bibles to Psalm 22. That's what Jesus was saying. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the Pharisees knew their Bible inside and out. They knew they, all this was memorized. They had the Ketuvim memorized. They knew Psalm 22. And when Jesus says, Lama Sabachthani, when he, when he is making that Christ, quoting word for word, Psalm 22. And right. so anytime you would quote 
the first passage of a, 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 or the first part of a passage, it was always a way for in in the Jewish culture to bring to mind the entire right. passage. Jesus only has limited breaths as he's hanging here, right? Exactly. So he didn't. So he didn't quote the entire psalm, but but he did. But if we look back, that's right. I mean, it is the entire psalm. What's <clears throat> happening to him? Yes. Ugh. And you read that psalm, and it talks about all the pain that he's going through mentally, how the abandonment issues that he's feeling, not only from God but from his friends, and um, it even comes right out and says, "My hands were pierced." Like it's it's very straightforward, um, a picture of what's going on in Jesus's mind as he's hanging upon the right. cross. So all of this to say, grace isn't free. Nope. <laughs> it comes at a high cost. And so why do I make this point? Well, because um, I want to look at the people in the wilderness when they were coming to the rock. Mm. Now, they named the place. You're testing God. That's what Moses named the place, is that you're testing God. And Moses, I don't think, fully understood his own actions whenever he struck the rock, because what was he doing? He was also testing God. Right. Because God had made a model that said, once and for all, mm -hmm. you're going to strike this rock, water's going to flow out, and it's once and for all. And Moses didn't catch that part. Right. And so his striking of the rock was offensive. It was offensive because God's like, you will not strike my son twice. I'm not going through this again. Do you not realize what I paid, what is, is happening here? And this is not happening again. And so a lot of times I think we get into this mindset where I know at least me growing up, where I was never assured in my salvation because I thought it was of my own strength in many ways. Right. Even though I would give grace lip service, it was an earned grace, which isn't grace at all. Mm. And so, um, so I found myself on my knees all the time. Please forgive me again. I know I screwed up again. Oh, I did this again, and I'm, I'm a horrible person. God, how can you even look at me? How can you even stand me at this point? These were the words I would say. In no my, assurance. In my, in my prayer. Yeah. It um, just makes you feel like you're, you're hanging on a, on a limb. You know what I mean? And, and there's no way that you can have sure footing mm -hmm. on the gospel. And trying, trying to get more water right. out. Trying to, yeah. you know, um, and so I was... Without knowing it, I thought I was being, um, I thought I was being humble, because I'm on my knees. I'm putting myself at God's feet, but in essence, I am being, um, I'm trampling on mm. the price that was paid. I'm trampling on the gift by going back to the rock and expecting somehow that it's going to get struck right. again for me and I'm going to get fixed again, instead of looking at it that. What was it the Hebrew writer said? You have been perfected forever. Mm. And I wasn't catching that part. So this leads me to um, the Oswald Chambers quote, quote the, the, the one that got me. Um, because it says, it, it, it says, he begins, beware 
of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. Whoa. It sounds bad, doesn't it? It yeah. sounds like I can't get with this. But let's but let's look what what he's saying. Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. God is so kind and loving that of course he will forgive us. That sentiment has no place whatever in the New Testament. Now that sounds harsh. And whenever I first read it, I was like, sorry, I love you, Oswald. Can't go with can't you here. <laughs> I'm, I am a proponent of love. And right. so um, here is how, here's what he's, he's, he's saying. And it, it'll, it'll become a little bit more clear here. If I were to ask most Christians uh, uh, the, 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 the question, why does God forgive us? The, the answer might be because he, he loves us. Right. That's that would probably be what the answer that we would give. But that's a a theologically wrong answer. Right. Because the answer is the reason why God forgives you is Mm. because his son died for it. Exactly. It's been paid for at a high cost. And that is why God forgives you. He loved you enough to send his son. And so love does play into it. But the problem is and what he's saying here is that if you take Jesus out of the statement and say, God forgives me because he loves me. We're doomed. Yeah. Then, then there's no atonement for sin. So, right. so what Oswald Chambers continues, he says, that sentiment has no place whatever in the New Testament. The only ground on which God can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. To put forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy and you don't think about that like it just but it's true whenever you really put your mind to it because i i want to cherish the the gift of his sacrifice you know i want to i want that to be of of um utmost important i don't want to trample on it i I don't want to to uh get so caught up in my own um sanctification that I am that I am forgetting the cost of the justification. Amen. So does, so does that mean that if if you're placing if you're placing your forgiveness based on doing something you're blaspheming. <laughs> That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Yeah, but it's the truth. Yes. So and that includes things like praying. Yeah. You can pray, you can make an idol scripture out of reading. You can make an idol out of prayer, out of scripture reading, out of all kinds of things when you remove the atonement from the situation. Whenever you're doing it for a reason that is that is not what what it's there for. Yep. It's it's all summed up in the in the in the glorious cross. In the bloody, horrible, glorious cross. Yes, that's the. I mean, that's what we have to base everything off of. Yeah, and so it sounds like okay. Well, you, you may be splitting hairs or whatever, but I don't think this is splitting hairs to God. Oh, no, it's important. I, I think there's a reason why Moses wasn't allowed to go into the land of Israel, and and, and this is it. Like this is this is it was a blasphemous thing. It was right. it was something that was very offensive. So. You'd mentioned the end of Hebrews 10. So we stopped roughly around 18. Uh, Jump back into that reading and let's look 
at uh, 19 through 29. Sure. So this passage, uh, it can be, it's, I love the way the Bible does this. This passage can actually be used the opposite way of what it's intended. Right. If you pull, I've seen it use the opposite way so many different times. Yeah. So if you if you pull, and this is the danger of pulling verses out of context. That's right. Oh, proper exegesis is yes. so important. Yeah, because you can also, and this honestly, the context is a little difficult to understand because of the way it's wordy. But right. but uh, let's read verse nineteen through twenty nine and look what it has to say there. Sure. It says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the household of God, let us draw near to the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and let our bodies washed of pure water. Let us Hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he, uh, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another and provoke love and good works. Okay, so hang on, hang on just a second. So let's catch, make sure we get everybody's head around what was just said before yeah. we go much further. Right. It, it, there is assurance all over that passage. Exactly. All over the passage. Like it's over, you, over, over, over. You've been yeah. sprinkled. You've been clean. You've made, it's not about good works. It's like all of this, like it's, sure. it's done. It's historical and hold fast to the faith of it. Like it, it's talking about all of this. And so now he's going to go into, now let's add some application to what's, what's happened. So he says, provoke one another to good works. Not neglecting to get together together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. For, where do you want me to go? Yeah, let's go to 29, because this is going to be where the the passage gets um, upside down in how we we can look at it. And if we pull it out, it totally means something different. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one who uh, will deserve who is trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as, as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. <laughs> insulted what? The Spirit of grace. Of grace. So we can read those passages because of that scary part that says, he who keeps on sinning, has no more forgiveness for sins or something of that nature. Like, right. And that's how it's been used Yep, as a legalistic passage. Oh yeah. Oh, you better check yourself before you wreck are you, yourself. Are you continuing to sin? <laughs> yes. Oh, well you've been there. You better find out whether or not you were really saved to begin with. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or you lost your salvation there, buddy. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. 
<laughs> it says the same thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the uh, but what it's saying is uh, grace is all over this passage. There's grace yeah. before it. There's grace after it. Like what he's talking about that sin going on sinning that he's talking about is this continual coming back for more needing to uh to find forgiveness again because apparently the forgiveness you got wasn't good enough and right. so you keep coming back over and over again and what does he say you're trampling on the sacrifice mm -hmm. of Jesus by doing this and right. making profane the spirit and insulting the spirit of grace like it is so wild that this passage has been used legalistically because of two or three words in it. Mm -hmm. But the entire passage gives us a pretty clear picture that we are to embrace grace and run with it. Right. And, and not get mired in self pity, pity and apathy uh, because of, because of our weaknesses. That's, that's exactly right. Now, you know, we're, again, we're not promoting greasy grace. No, this is not, this is not what we're saying. And this is the, this is the biggest issue whenever it, it comes down to this whole thing. And we've said it a million times on about a hundred and some odd Theonauts episodes. The truth is, is this, it's, it's not, you know, are you saying that, you know, I can do whatever I want, you know, yeah. now that, now that Christ, and the question has, is, yes, I don't know. what is it? What, what do you want? <laughs> what do you, yeah, exactly. What, what is it you're desiring? Because the truth is this, if Christ has made you a new creation, the Holy spirit resides in you and he's going to perfect which is what we read, right? Yeah. He's going to perfect what he's done in you. Yes, and 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 it is a it is about direction. It's about following a direction. It's um, not sinless perfection because I promise you, friend, we're not going to get there. Right. Not not in this lifetime. But it is about walking in Christ, which is, I mean, that's the natural that's the natural progression of somebody who surrendered to Christ. And this chapter, <laughs> Hebrews ten, is really good for this. If we start right. the first and don't discount any of it. Like, exactly. like it says, it says there, I will write my commands upon their heart. He calls us back to the Ezekiel passage that the commands are on your heart. Like it's exactly. And who is it that's doing it? It's Christ mm -hmm. or it's, it's God. He, he is, he's writing his command on your heart and he's perfecting you. He's sanctifying you. Right. Yes. That's what that whole thing is. And so if, if you go, Oh well, maybe I maybe I didn't get it to begin with. What are you doing? You're profaning mm -hmm. his gift, you know, that he gave you. Going backwards, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm so worried about losing this thing that I'm gonna have to you know, pray my prayer every night. You I, know, I know people and that have been baptized again. Yeah, because I know yeah. people that have been baptized three and four or five times <laughs> because it didn't yeah. take apparently the first time, you know, or whatever, right. and. To me, that's an example of what we're talking about here. And the thing is, is, if you're worried about your, if you're worried about if you're really saved to be, that's that's an evidence that you're saved, man. Exactly, <laughs> it, and that that is the exact point of this. Is like now, there's another side of this. You want to grow and you want to experience growth, 
And, right. and that's that's different, but uh, whenever you start tying it to salvation, because because you can get caught up into this whole thing where maybe I didn't really, maybe I didn't really do it, maybe mm. or maybe I've lost it, or you know, and oh, yeah, it's not on you, it's on Christ. So, so um, trust that that matter's settled, and then focused on what He's calling you to be or who He's calling you to be. You and, know, that's it. And the New Testament is full of this. Like it is right. one passage after another. Uh, jump back to Romans eight. Sure. So we kn- we know uh, Romans eight is one of the best chapters of the New Testament. Right. Uh, for me, it's just so full of of, of spirit. And so look at the first four verses of Romans eight. Therefore, thou there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we can leave it at that, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so the the reason why I went past the first verse is because there's this whole part about walking after the flesh or walking after the Spirit. Right, absolutely. And that's what I was talking about in terms of direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so... Walking after the Spirit doesn't mean living sinlessly. Walking after the Spirit means I'm trying, <laughs> I'm following, I am on a path that you've put me on. I'm allowing the Spirit to have His way in my life. Right. right. I'm following Him. I'm not following my flesh. Exactly. Like it, when you follow your flesh, it's like you don't care about where the Spirit's going. Yeah. You don't care about what God wants from you. You don't. In fact, you're not going to care about Jesus right? if, if you're if you're following the flesh. Yeah. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean that, you know, you don't, there's not a fleshly thought that, or a fleshly action that happens. But if you're not following that, that's not the, the uh, direction that you're headed. Um, mm. And, of course, we can go on and on. First John, I, it, it, reading First John is like um, if you're ever questioning whether or not you got it. That's what first John is all about. It's, That's right. It, it, the whole thing. And, and he says right there in the first chapter, I'm writing I these things so that you're, yeah. yeah. So that your joy may be full. Like it's right. it, stop worrying, be right. assured because if right. you're worrying, you're not any good to anybody. If you're, if you're so focused on your own salvation, you're not going to be helping or loving anybody else, but yourself until you get through it. Yeah. And so, um, uh, first John one has this whole thing about, um, about asking for forgiveness of sins. And yeah. we could, we get caught up on that first John one and, and nine. Once again, ah, quit pulling passages out by themselves. <laughs> so first, first John one and nine says, do you have it right there in front of you? Yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. That means go to confession, right? That's right. <laughs> that, that <laughs> mean, no, that's not what it means. Like it does not mean that 
It, what? What are you talking about? That's what it says it right there, brother. I, I send it says ten, it. I believe it. That settles it. I, I send ten times a day, so I better pray ten times ten tonight. Times. You know, exactly. It's it's not about making sure that you are asking for every sin specifically, and because this is the way I grew up. This is the way I was I was raised to believe that. Okay, you've got to cover them all, otherwise there's <laughs> going to be unforgiven sins in here. Yeah. Well, what am I doing? I'm going back to the rock and I'm striking it over and over mm. and over and over by doing yeah. this. When the passage, what the right. passage says is it's part of a Hebrew um, poet poetry, uh, a, yep. a triplet that begins in verse eight. Four. And no. uh, yeah, it, the, the, the triplet itself begins in eight because it says it's, it's a cause and effect or um, opposites type of... Right of poetry thing that happens. Uh, so read eight through 10, like together. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's the triplet. Right. Right. So you've got a sandwich happening. You've yeah. got, uh, you don't have any sins. You're a liar. If you say you got sins, God's got you. If you say you don't have any sins, well, then now you're making God a liar. So mm -hmm. the, the point of verse 9 is not, hey, pray, 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 pray. The point of verse 9 is acknowledgement, yeah. coming to him in humbleness, saying, I am a beggar at the, at the door of, of Jesus, that I am nothing. And what does it say? He will be cleansed from what? All unrighteousness. Not the sins of the day. No. Not I have sinned since five times since I've last sought confession and came to the confessional, but it all unrighteousness, everything. Right. For me, it, it ties into the rest of the passage up in the up in the earlier. I mean, the whole God is light. There's absolutely no darkness. Can I read the rest of this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so. This is the message we have heard from uh, him and declare to you, God is light, in him is absolutely no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. We walk in the light as he is himself in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from how much? All, All sin, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we say we have no sin. So – to me, it connects it, uh, and what I mean by that is this: a lot of when I when I was growing up, I used to read that passage and go, "Well, this whole God is light thing, and Him is no darkness." This is talking about sin versus perfection. And as I as I read it now, I don't think it's talking about that. In fact, I, what is what does light do? It shines upon the darkness. It lights. It shines up the, upon the darkness. It, it illuminates the darkness. Mm -hmm. It's it's living openly and honestly mm -hmm. about who you are. That's what this is. That's what the whole thing is talking about. Yes, yes. Not hiding the truth of who you are. Mm -hmm. Understanding who you are is, man. I'm a screwed up person. Right. And I am. I am going to live in the light. I'm not going to be hiding sin. I'm not going to pretend that I have no sin. I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to live an open life before God, right? Yeah. And expose the truth that without Christ, 
I, I'm nothing. It's, and that's the whole message of this passage. And there's this, this whole book also uh, is very pointed towards self-righteousness because right. a lot of people, because what happens is whenever you are a legalistic person, you have to get self-righteous yeah. so that other people in your group don't think that you are a, a, a sinner. A sinner. <laughs> And, yeah. so, and so there's a lot of self-righteous passages in here. And part of, of this, that's why they're the one about confessing your faults is, is sandwiched between who, who says they don't have sin? You say you don't have sin? You're a liar. You're, you're oh, a liar. You're even so worse than that. You saying God is a liar. Like, <laughs> like there's so much focus on that. So another way that is completely applicable to this is, okay, so let's say you're in a dark wood. You're trying to travel through the woods at night. Um, Dad's got the flashlight. Mm. And he's shining it on the direction to go. All right, boys, follow the path. I've got the light shining on it. But if I go, no, Dad, I know the way. And I head off running through the woods with no light. (laughs) (laughs) What's going to happen? Well, I'm going to get some stitches the next morning. (laughs) That's right. Or I'm going to fall in the ditch. Like what? (laughs) Yeah, clothes on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something's gonna happen now I, I might be speaking from experience i don't know <laughs> i believe that about you but anyway so the point there being that um assurance is scriptural like and and i think all of this going all the way back to moses and the rock is all tied to not trusting that there is a once and for all, there is a finality to Jesus's sacrifice. There's a Mm. beauty in the grace that has forgiven you that dates back before your first sin. Mm -hmm. And so that verse nine of of first John one, if you're there, if you are acknowledging your sin and coming clean on it, then it's all forgiven first to last, like the ones I haven't even done yet they're they're already being forgiven and so i can beat myself up and beat the rock i want but god has given us the greatest gift um chambers ends his his um reading here which i think is really wise like it was really insightful he says compared with the miracle of the forgiveness of sin the experience of sanctification is slight sanctification is is simply the, and it cut off. I don't have the rest of it. But it was something like it was, it's simply the result of the forgiveness. That's, that's right. That's all that sanctification is. But we can get so caught up in our sanctification that we are forgetting the miracle that is yeah. your forgiveness. That's right. That's already been accomplished. And that, that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, it starts with that justification. And the reality is, is, those who are justified are going to continue on to sanctification, continue on to glorification. And God has, God has got them. I think of John 10, um, where, where Jesus says, the works I do in my father's name testify about me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Mm-hmm. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Mm-hmm. The reality is. So comforting. Yeah, it, it's 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 in God's hands. It's not in my hands. Mm-hmm. And how powerful is God compared to me? Oh I, yeah, it's you know, it's like if it's if it's left up to me, I'm gonna totally screw it up. Yeah, praise the Lord, it's not. 
All right. Well, uh, do you have any news or anything? Dude, I didn't even look at news. I just went straight to. I was so excited oh. about this stuff. Well, I'll tell you I, what. You you want to do the trivia thing? Bring it on. Oh, let's do that. Theo Trivia. And what's funny is I got all the cards. Yeah, you're going to have to, like, take a picture of, like, Front no, no, just go ahead. <laughs> there you go. I can't even see it. I'm, I'm trying to show him through the FaceTime it's, video. It's so blurry. Why don't you just ask me the first one? And then... Uh, Why don't I just test you, Jeremiah? No, 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 no. <laughs> Unless you want to pull up uh, something online or something there. Yeah, I'm, I've already pulled him up. Oh, okay. So, while you're pulling that up, I am getting a card out. So, I'm just going to slap one on you. Ready? Mm-hmm. Old Testament. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for slapping Old Testament on me. <laughs> Who gave the following as a gift to make peace with a relative? 200, or 220 goats. 220 sheep, 30 camels, 50 cattle, and 30 donkeys. I mean, I know. (laughs) Oh, come on, fade out. Okay, that was too long. What do you got? Uh, That would be Jacob. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Still have all that the one was really simple. <laughs> all right. Do, do you have one for me? Did you find? Something? Oh my gosh! All of these are so easy. Give me another one, and then I'll quiz you on two. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing about most of these. People must be very thin on their Bible because most Bible trivia things are very like very. Like these are so. Okay, you ready? History and geography. Go ahead. From which city did Paul escape by being lowered over the city walls in a basket at night? Oh, I know this. What do you think? Is it Damascus? Yes. Nailed it. (laughs) That is in Acts 9, verse 25. So that was, he was on his way there. Okay, go ahead. Here we go. Who built the first city? I know it like an extra biblical take on this, but I'm trying to think. This is coming. Is there a verse? Yeah. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 3, 4. 4? Okay. Um, hang on a second. 
It's got to be a, a descendant of Cain. Um, uh-huh. Well, my first guess would have been Nimrod, but that's not um, no. biblical. That's extra biblical. So what do you got? It was actually Cain himself. Cain? Oh, yeah. wow. In, in Genesis 4, uh, let me read it real quick. Genesis yeah, 4, let's do that. verse 14. I think it's 14. Hold on. Um, it says this. Uh, hold on. <laughs> uh, Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Cain was intimate with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Uh, then Cain became the builder of a city and named the city Enoch after his son. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, that was actually uh, 17. Um, who asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter? Platter. That would be Salome. That's right. The daughter of Herodias. Why did she do that? Extra bonus points. Because mama wanted it. Because mama wanted it. Because mama she danced. was John the Baptist. Yeah. For, uh, she danced to- for the king. And the king was like, that's hot, man. Your, your daughter's hot. And oh, I'll give you. <laughs> He's like, I'll give you anything you want for that. <laughs> it's like the bad version of the. I don't know, Mama. What should I ask for? Um, well, that Baptist, that John the Baptist guy. John the Baptist. That, that Baptist. Those Baptists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let me give you another one here. Uh, I'll, give you, on. I'll give you a prophecy one. Okay. In which book in the Bible do we find the exploits of the prophet Elisha? In which book do we find the exploits, the exploits of yeah. Elijah? Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. Uh, mm. Mm. Let me think. Them she bears. Them she bears come out. <laughs> That's right. Don't, don't make fun of a bald prophet. You'll end up getting she bear eaten. Elisha was a wooden Indian standing by the door. <laughs> what? Did you know that song? No, Second Samuel. Oh, I got a button. I should just use the button. Uh, Second Kings. Second Kings. I knew it yes. was like one of the seconds. So it was close. I didn't think it was either First King. I didn't think it was First Kings, but I didn't think, and I knew it was First Samuel. Yeah, First Kings so, is like uh, Elijah, wow. and then Second Kings is like Elisha. All right, man. Well, you about ready to get out of here? Hey, I'm I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I got to pull my script up. You got your script. I do too. See, we're we're, we're very rusty of this. We're gonna have to rewrite the script because it's way out of date. But we're we don't care anymore right now. So. Nah, who cares? We'll just say it. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Go. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Uh, visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and out- outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on a voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Follow us on Instagram at the Theonauts, right? Is that Theonauts on at, Instagram? At Theonauts, yeah. At Theonauts. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. As always, thanks, David. Uh, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. GCT Network. This is your great commission transmission. This is your great commission transmission. I learned to read some. I read the Bible quite a bit. I can't understand all of it, but I reckon I understand a good deal of it. Them stories you and Mama told me, they ain't in there.